Well, good morning, one and all. How are we doing this morning? Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. So this morning, a couple of things I'd like to bring to your attention. First off, welcome. Glad that uh, you were able to make it to the service this morning. I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are visiting with us, we are uh, excited for your visit. I would encourage you to uh, grab a Connect card in front of you and fill that out so that we can be uh, aware of your visit. And I would love to reach out uh, and and contact you at some point throughout the week if you'd so choose. Uh, If anyone else has a prayer request or something to uh, make us aware of so that we can be praying for you this week, that is another way to utilize that card. So I encourage you to fill that out as well. And you can drop that in the offering box in the back and uh, we will uh, be sure to be praying for you throughout uh, this week couple of things, I mentioned these last week, but I will reiterate them for us again today in case you missed uh, last week's service. We are uh, going to be starting a new picture directory uh, this uh, fall and hopefully have that uh, available for you uh, before the year's end. Uh, but for the picture part of it, we need your picture. All right. And uh, as I mentioned last week, not one from a decade ago, preferably one uh, more recent, more current. Uh, And so there's a way for you to submit a picture. If you have uh, a family photo or something that uh, was recently taken that you really, really like and want to use that one, uh, you can email that to us here at the church. Uh, Otherwise, beginning next Sunday for four Sundays in a row, uh, I will be or have somebody else out in the foyer, and we'll have our own little picture uh, station out there, and uh, we're going to bookend the service. So after Sunday school and before this service uh, will be an opportunity, uh, or once this service concludes, you can head out and uh, get a picture uh, out there with uh, you, your uh, spouse, your family, uh, however uh, your family unit looks right now. We'll get those pictures taken uh, over the next four weeks. So uh, if you would plan and uh, dress accordingly, I guess. If you all want to be in blue, make sure you're all wearing blue, right? Uh, Directory information form. So not only do we want your picture, we would also like uh, updated information. I mentioned that uh, we do want your picture, so if you're adverse to pictures, uh, I I, I may have threatened to go to Facebook and find one. We'll see. Uh, But at at any rate, we do need your information uh, so that we can update that. If you have a new cell phone or email or you've uh, moved and have a different address, all of that stuff is is important to keep our our records up to date. Uh, And as always... Uh, we, we need that in, in the office, but if you would like to give that to us, but you don't want it published, uh, there are check boxes for that as well to, to give us your email, but I don't want it published, and then we won't publish uh, whatever information uh, you'd prefer not having published, but it's helpful for us to have that uh, in the office here. Uh, other than that, uh, beginning on Tuesday, I'm taking a group of students up north uh, for a uh, missional retreat. It's called... Uh, evangelism boot camp. They're going to get a basic training in in, uh, different forms of evangelism. So we're going to spend a couple of days up there uh, doing a lot of that kind of training uh, and other uh, challenge course and initiative type stuff, uh, team building, things of that nature uh, throughout the course of this week. So uh, I am hitting the road yet again uh, this week. So thank you again for those that uh, were praying uh, throughout the, this past week. Uh, we had no issues driving down uh, to Florida and then sleeping for two minutes, loading up and driving straight back. Uh, it was a whirlwind trip. Uh, I'm exhausted. Julie's exhausted, but uh, we made it safe and sound with no issues. So thank you so very much for uh, your prayers with that. 
and uh, we are looking forward to having a real vacation at some point where we can rest, so we'll, we'll figure out where that goes. All right, so this time I ask you to stand uh, with uh, me, please, as Pastor Mark comes to share uh, our call to worship. Our call to worship comes from Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, the Apostle John sees a vision of the throne room. We're going to jump in in verse 4. It says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments and gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, and there were seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it, as it were, a, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like the eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fell down, fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their, th their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In honor of the word of God, would you please stand with me at this time? Before we read the scripture, just hear this short prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm chapter 8 reads as follows O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for your word. And we pray now as we seek to understand it better this morning that you would help this preacher, but not just me. We pray that you would help every hearer 
within the sound of my voice this morning to hear your word, to know something true about you today, to understand something about themselves, and to leave today changed because of your word. We will ask for your help in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 8. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's on page 450. 450, Psalm chapter 8. Maybe you can relate of looking at life, looking around you, and feeling insignificant. Maybe, maybe a little less than. Maybe unimportant. Maybe unworthy. Maybe as if you don't matter at all. Maybe this happened to you when you look around at others. You see other people and we compare ourselves with those around us. Maybe you look at the, the broader world around the globe and wonder about yourself. Maybe you look at the totality of history and say, what, 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 what matters about what I'm doing? Or maybe you look to the, the vastness of the universe and question, do I even matter? Does my life even matter? Does my life even have meaning? If, if I were not here, w w would anyone even care? Maybe this morning you can relate with wrestling with feelings or the emotion of insignificance. Humans long for significance, and we seek it out in many places. St. Augustine wrote this, You have made us for yourself, talking about the Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In Psalm 8, we find what could be called a hymn of praise by David. King David here is contrasting God's greatness, his grandeur, with man's seeming insignificance. He begins in verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. David begins this short psalm by celebrating the glory of God. That the God's glory, that God himself is majestic. His name is majestic. What is that name? O Lord, our Lord. That first Lord is different than the second Lord. In your Bible, some of them, the very first Lord is, is capitals, which indicates a different word. This is the word Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the covenant name of Israel's God. O Lord, O Jehovah, O Yahweh, our Lord, our Adonai is the second word. Our master or our ruler. One writer says, this is the God who is and continues to be. David looks at the Lord and says, O Lord, our Lord. You see the, the personal nature there, our. It's a plural, but it is, it is a personal pronoun. Our Lord, O Lord, our Lord. 
How majestic is your name, your, your standing, your fame, your reputation? How majestic is your name? How magnificent, how awesome is your name? Where? In all the earth, and then what next? You have set your glory above the heavens. In heaven and earth, this is the name that is above every other name. His glory, his power, his splendor is above the heavens. And we can't quite understand that, can we? Above the heavens. What is above the heavens? The heavens are, is, is quite large. His name transcends even the heavens. It is exalted over all. What is David saying? He's saying that the Lord reigns over everything. Now, as you sit here this morning in a church like this, you might not think like that's, that's significance. Okay, God reigns over all. But like our day, in David's time, the culture was pluralistic, which means Christianity, or wasn't Christianity at then, theism was not the only idea out there was not the only um, worldview or religious idea about God or gods or, or, or what have you. So for, for David to make a claim like this, it's actually significance. It's actually uh, saying that Israel's God, the God of, 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 of the Bible, our God too, is the only one. He is greater than everyone in anything else that you could imagine or make up. This is a claim of superiority over the, of the name of the Lord over all the earth. That is not politically correct today, and it was not politically, politically correct then. We need to recognize that. David is making a claim. Believe it or not, right? believe it or not today, the Lord rules and reigns over heaven and earth. That's what David is saying. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's starting with the Lord. His psalm starts with the Lord's name. Get that right. Most of what we get wrong about ourselves, about the world, about the end, is because we get the first thing wrong. If we get the Lord right, if we get the eternal one right, we are likely to get the other things right. He didn't stop there. Verse 2, out of the mouths of babes, or out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes and to still the enemy and the avenger. One writer says it this way, God uses even the weak to silence the wicked. Here's this majestic God, and how does he deal with his enemies? How does he deal with, his, um, with, with the, these avengers? What does he do? He uses babies and infants. It's his strength against these foes. It reminds us of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. that says, But God chose what is, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of the Lord. What does this majestic God do? He uses people. He uses weak people to carry out his will. That is our Lord. David moves on then to talk about the Lord's creation. And he starts with the heavens that 
he already referenced, verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have placed. We'll stop there. I know that's mid-sentence, but we'll stop there. And understand this, that not only is God's name worth praising, but here David is looking at creation. He's looking at the, the, the hand of God, or here he calls the work of your fingers. And what are those works? It is certainly creation, specifically the moon and the stars, which are the Lord's, which are in the Lord's what? In your heavens. This is his creation. God didn't just make a creation, it is his creation. Your heavens and your fingers. Here David uses a, a human attribute of fingers to describe what God is doing. Now we know that God is a spirit. God does not actually have fingers. He doesn't have eyes. He doesn't have hands. And yet these are the, the, the way that David uses to describe for us who are human. We are physical. How, how can we understand God's work without a description like this? And yet this is how David among other biblical writers, uses an attribute to describe this activity. David not only accredits the heavens to God's hands, but he also says that he set what is in the heavens, he set them there. The moon and the stars which you have set in place. God set. Now this is a, a, a uh, for those who are interested in grammar, uh, this is a, in the perfect tense which means it is completed. He set them. He's not continuing. It is, it is, a, it is a present or a perfect tense, excuse me. And so it, it's done. The moon and the stars have been placed. He put them there. He appointed them. And that they're not randomly there. They're not arbitrarily there. He perfectly placed for his plans and his purposes. You might say, yes, okay, but, but consider and think about the innumerable stars in the sky. And yet, what David is saying is that he placed them there. That the finger of God did that. The hand of God did it. All creation is God's work. David kind of zeroes in here on the heavens of the moon and the stars. Earlier this month, NASA re released photos taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. Here are two of, of the pictures. I'll read their descriptions of these pictures. This probably won't do it justice. You can look it up for yourself. This landscape of, quote-unquote, mountains and valleys speckled with glittering stars is actually the edge of a nearby young star-forming region called the NGC 3324 in the Carina uh, Nebula. Now that looks like a mountain range, doesn't it? That's in the sky. That's a star formation. Here's another one. This one might not seem quite as spectacular in the view that you have. But this was produced, this, this photo has produced the, the, the deepest, is one of the deepest, excuse me, uh, and sharpest infrared images of a distant universe to date. Known as Webb's first deep field, this image of a galaxy cluster is overflowing with details. Thousands of galaxies, including the faintest objects ever observed in the infrared, 
have appeared in Webb's view, this is the telescope's view, for the first time. This slice of the vast universe covers a patch of sky. Listen, this vast universe covers a patch of sky approximately the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length by someone on the ground. We, we don't have categories for this. Right? If, if we started to talk about the billions of miles, it, it, we, we don't have categories for this. It's vast. It's, it's uh, un, unimaginable, even as we try to describe it. What is the point? The point is that the universe is amazing. <laughs> and that God hung the moon, and he hung the stars. He did it all. It was his hand. It was his fingers. He did that. In the light of that, in the light of all of that, what does David say in verse 4? In the light of the stars and the moon that you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? This question is called a poetic device. It was meant to evoke a sense of awe. What David is doing is he's contrasting the, the, the big stuff, the immensity of, of the universe with the small things, with the little things, like you and me. In light of the, the, the grandness of the universe, how is it that God is mindful of me or the Son of Man that, that you care for him. In 1990, a space probe called Voyager 1 was tasked with taking pictures in space. They were headed home and they were about to shut off their cameras due to the amount of energy they were requiring. But before they did, they were told to take another series of pictures. And as part of the final series of pictures from a distance of approximately 3.8 billion miles away from the Earth, they captured the now iconic photo that scientist Carl Sager titled The Pale Blue Dot. After 30 years, this picture has been updated and we might say remastered using imaging software that was not available in 1990. This is the picture. Now, you probably can't see it, but what that arrow is pointing at is a dot. And that dot is the Earth. From 3.8 billion miles away, this was the picture of Earth. You can see it as a mere dot, which happened to be caught in a ray of light from the sun. That would have been the sun shooting that way in this photo. This has been called a, a happy coincidence. This dot, this dot is the, the planet that holds our lives. It holds our experience as mankind. But from this vantage point... It looks like a speck. It looks like something may have gotten on the screen and we need a napkin, right? What is that speck on the screen? Was something on the lens when they took the picture, right? No, no, nothing on the lens. That's the earth. It's amazing. It is humbling. It's not intended to make you feel small. It's intended to tell you that you are small. 
we are. In the light of this, the question is, what is man? What are we in the vastness of this universe, in the smallness, relatively speaking, of the earth? What is man that the creator, that God, that Yahweh takes thought of us or that gives attention to us? Here in verse 4, this mindful or, or cares for us is in the imperfect tense, which means it's an ongoing activity. The word man here is, is, is the word that, that means that man is, is frail and man is mortal. James chapter 4 tells us that, that we are all vapor. Our lives are, are but a vapor. And yet here, the God who placed the stars in heaven, the God who, who made the planets, our, our earth being one, does in fact remember us. David is in awe of this. What may seem insignificant in our estimation is not so with God. Not at all. David goes on to expound the goodness of God to humanity. Man might not seem like much. And yet God cares for him. And we see it in how he made us. Look at verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now, this verse is a little tricky because there's a, a term translated in the ESV, heavenly beings. Some of your Bibles might say angels. Some of your Bibles might say God. The actual Hebrew word here is the word Elohim, which is the word that relates to God, is used for God. It can be used for God, small g. It can be used to refer to a deity. Now, whatever David may have meant, the point seems to be clear that God made mankind a little lower than the heavenly realm, lower than a heavenly being, lower than angels, clearly lower than God. Thomas Aquinas calls this the, the mediating position, lower than angels, higher than, of course, other creation. Man was, one commentator says, was created as God's represent, representative on earth over creation, but lower than God. Now we can note here that David actually does not say that God made man a little higher than animals. That's not how, how it's written. That's how evolutionists might look at us. We're, we're a little more advanced than animals. That's not how God views it. He views it as though we are a little lower than the heavenly beings. Additionally, God not only crowned man with glory and honor and made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, he also gave man dominion. Look at verses 6 through 8. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. God has given man dominion over creation, over the created order. David here is referring back to Genesis chapter 1, where this, first, where this commission was first given. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Now we recognize that that is before the fall. That is pre-fall, but it remained part, uh, that commission remained in part after the fall with, with Noah. We see that in Genesis chapter 9. But listen to uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 20, verse 26. 
Listen to what, what God says when he makes man. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. David is, is, is recounting what God has already said. He's saying, this is what you did. You, you made man. You crowned him with glory and honor. You made him a little lower than the heavens, and you gave him dominion over all things. Mankind matters. Mankind is not one among many. It is not uh, like anything else. Mankind stands alone. Mankind is not God, clearly, but has been crowned with glory and honor. What does that mean? It means that we bear the image of God, the imago Dei. Therefore, every person, every, every person has inherent value and dignity. Every person, born or unborn, black or white, every person, rich or poor, every person, greater, greater they are than any other earthly beings. You see, we do not look down to find our value. We don't look at each other. We don't look at, at the animal kingdom and feel more significant. Well, look at us. At least I'm not a uh, fill in the blank, right? No, that's not how we gain our significance. We actually look up. James Montgomery Boyce tells us why, why it is that the writer does not say we're a little higher than animals. He says that although men and women have been given a, a position midway between angels and beasts, it is nevertheless humanity's special privilege and duty to look upward to the angels and beyond the angels to God, in whose image men and women have been made, rather than downward to the beasts. The result is that they become increasingly like God rather than increasingly beast-like in their behavior. He continues, but here is the sad thing. Although made in God's image and ordained to be increasingly like God in whom they look, men and women have turned their backs on God. And since they will not look upward to God, which is their privilege and duty, they actually look downward to the beasts and so become increasingly like them, end quotes. This is a great observation of a truth that that, that which we behold, we become. In our human nature, we have inverted, flip-flops, the created order. And that has real-life consequences. What do we mean? The created order is what? God, man, creature. Right? The inversion of that is creature, man, God. This is Romans 1. That we've exchanged the glory that we worship the, the creation rather than the creator. This is idolatry. Or what one theologian named D.A. Carson calls the de-godding of God. We become what we behold. The devaluing of humanity, whether that's devaluing ourselves or devaluing one another, this dehumanization begins first by de-godding God. 
If God is no longer God in our lives, then what's the source? What's the source of authority? What's the the source of identity? What's the source of validation? What's the source of meaning? What's the source of, of purpose? Where do we look? We're seeing it today, and it's a real problem, and it's not new. The answer is to see God for who he is, and to see ourselves as his creation and respond accordingly. That is, in praise and in worship. David talks about this glory and this honor, this dominion or this rule that are given to to, to man. These are attributes, the glory and honor, of of royal dignitaries or vice regents. We were made... Mankind was made to reflect these characters, characteristics of glory and honor of God, to rule and to reign with Christ. But, but in the fall, the fullness of this reign was lost. Where, where Adam once ruled in the garden, what now rules is death and sin. Sin and death reign now instead of what God intended as man. But there's good news that what the first Adam failed to do, the second Adam, the Son of God, Jesus himself did do it. Psalm chapter 8, Jesus applies part of the psalm to, to himself. The Apostle Paul makes the connection to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as does the writer of Hebrews. And I invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, you can read this for yourself. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 1001. 1001. If you get to James, you've gone too far. Page 1001. The writer says this It has been testified somewhere. He's talking about Psalm chapter 8. And he quotes What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. The rest of verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Then this. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely... Jesus, what was he? Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Who is the man? Who is the man of Psalm 8 but but Jesus? Jesus came to earth. He came and was made lower than the angels, but he was crowned with glory and honor and had dominion and rule. As we read through the Gospels, he had dominion and rule over beasts, over fish, and over birds. We actually see that in the text. One commentator says that Jesus realized God's expectation of man in perfect obedience and holiness. What does that mean? It means that he did what neither Adam nor you or I could actually do. He fulfilled this Psalm. He fulfilled what it means to have the glory and the honor. He fulfilled what it means to have dominion over the earth. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he took our death. 
He suffered death, verse 9 says, so that by the grace of God we might, that he might taste death for us. What did this man do? He came and he took for us what we deserved, our death. But in taking our death, he was victorious in his resurrection over sin and death and will one day, we know, return. And when he does, his people will join him in his rule, in his reign. The earth will be renewed, creation will be redeemed and restored, and all the things, all the things will be made right. God is mindful of man. He is. He is mindful of man. We would say, well, there, there's an application to, to Jesus, yes, and there's an application to you and to me. How is he mindful of you? How has he cared for you? How has he visited, some of your Bibles say, for you? Most clearly in his son. Most clearly in his son who tasted for us death. Most clearly in his son who came to do for us what no one can or would do for us. Well, David ends here where he began in verse 9 with a repetition of verse 1, this, this inclusio that says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The majesty of God, his splendor, his might is to be recognized in all the earth. Now, we might find our significance. We might try to find our significance in other things, but the way you find your true significance is by looking to God. You may be dealing with insignificance today, feelings of insignificance for one reason or another. We find our significance as we recognize that he is the creator, which means that we are the created. You may think, well, that sounds lower. It is lower. But whose creation are you? You're his creation. You're not just a creation. You're his creation, which means you are of immeasurable worth. So much so. You want to know how valuable you are? So much so that he sent his son. So much so that he gave up his only begotten son for you. You love anybody that much? You love the stranger that much? You love your enemy that much? No, you don't. There's only one who does, and he did. He loved you that much. He sent his son. He sent his son to do for you what you so needed, that is to be redeemed, to be, for your sins to be paid for. How dare we consider insignificance any who bear God's image, any for whom God gave his son. God forbid that we look at one another that way. God forbid that we look at ourselves that way, for that is not how God looks at you. You matter. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you matter. Not because you're better than someone else. Not because you are, are valued by someone in this world. Not because you're greater than the animals. But because God is mindful of you. Because God cares for you. Because God made you. He crowned you with glory and honor and gave you dominion. No matter what happens in your life, and bad things happen in life. Difficult things are going to happen in your life. You will be tempted to wonder if God cares. Relationships will, will, will break. People will hurt you, will sin against you. You may feel certain things. What do we do with the feelings? That's, this is the whole point of the series that we're going through in Psalms. It's not that we never have these feelings. You will experience fear. You will experience times of discontentment. What do we do with it? 
What if you feel insignificant? What if you feel like no one cares? What do you do with it? You recognize who he is and who you are and know that you matter to the one who actually knows you best. Consider that. He knows you and he still loves you. (laughs) Right? Some of us are afraid that if we're actually known, people might not love us. Well, here's one who knows everything and he still loves you. He still cares for you. He still gives you attention. Again, most clearly in his son. So this week, may we find our worth, our significance, not by looking around us, not by what people say, their opinions, good or bad, but looking to our creator who is our sustainer, to our savior who is our Lord, and to the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, would you help us? Would you help us today to find our value, our significance, not in what the world says, not in what we can gain, not in our, our, our place among others here, not in even the created order of saying we're better than animals. God, our worth is found in you. Who do you say we are? We're yours. We're made by you, crowned with glory and honor, given dominion, though in part one day in full, when we will be like you, when we see you face to face, in a place where righteousness dwells, in a place where there will be no more sin, no more sadness, there will be no more temptation, there will be no more conflicts, that we will rule and reign over an earth that you have restored for your glory and for our good. God, would you help us to turn our eyes to you today? Find our hope, find our significance in the one who made us. In whose name we pray. Amen. Our God, you reign.